Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! Lift off. Hey there, I am your Matt Prophet of the Airwaves, and welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Monday, August the 22nd in the year of our Lord 2022. The phrase I'm using a lot these days is culture of death. And we have in this country and in the West, we have been creating a culture of death. And I can't put my finger exactly on when it began. I think it began before Roe versus Wade. It began in Canada before unfettered abortion on demand became the norm in this country. And just to be clear, a little side note, there is no constitutional right to abortion in Canada. There simply is an absence of law. It's the Wild West when it comes to abortion here. Now, Western Europe, and the liberals love to point to Western liberal Europe as some kind of utopia that should be emulated. Fine, fine, let's do that. Because Western Europe has far more restrictions when it comes to abortion than does Canada. Maybe the the culture of death really began in earnest when religion was pushed out of the public square. Prayer removed from public schools in the United States. That happened in the 1960s. That was certainly a huge contributing factor to this culture of death. The legalization of medically assisted suicide was a great leap forward. A great leap forward. Yes, for the progressives who actively and ceaselessly promote 
this culture of death. It was a great leap forward, but it really a great leap backwards. Medically assisted suicide. When we were debating whether to legalize euthanasia in this country, conservatives, true conservatives, argued this is not going to end well. This is greasing the slippery slope. Nonsense, said the progressives. And the, uh, the organization Death with Dignity Canada. There'll be safeguards. There will be rigorous standards. And conservatives warned that it would be the vulnerable, the most vulnerable in society, the elderly, the mentally ill, the disabled, who would be adversely affected the most by the legalization of euthanasia. And the left laughed, and they mocked. They called the conservatives reactionary. Well, last year, over 10,000 Canadians were euthanized. 10,000. Ten times the, the number that, they, that are euthanized in ultra-liberal jurisdictions like California. Now we know that people are being coerced and pressured and manipulated into accepting euthanasia. A hospital's so-called ethics officer lets a man with a degenerative neurological condition know in no uncertain terms that his hospital stay is costing a lot of money, too much money. And has he considered medically-assisted suicide? A veteran of the war in Afghanistan with a brain injury is also asked to consider medically-assisted dying, euthanasia. We have people who are sad or depressed choosing euthanasia. Dying with dignity would like the age of consent for euthanasia lowered to possibly as young as 12. This is the culture of death that we now have in Canada and it's running throughout our hospitals. So be very careful. I wouldn't leave an elderly parent or a sick relative or a depressed relative alone in a hospital in this country. That would be reckless as far as I'm concerned. And it gives me no pleasure to say that. It gives me no pleasure to sit here and tell you that I do not trust healthcare professionals in hospitals. I have friends and family in Greece. In Greece, if you have a sick relative, you stay with them in the hospital room. You don't leave their side. Why? Because you're their caregiver. You bring them fresh linen. You bring them food. It's encouraged. It's not because they're fearful the hospital is going to coerce your sick auntie into being put to death. Not so the case here. So let's stop using such innocuous phrases like medical assistance in dying. The patient is being put to death by the medical staff. So this culture of death that we now have in this country, this Hitlerian culture of death, yes, Hitlerian, has now caught the attention of the editors at Forbes magazine. Here's the headline in the article which was published August 15th. Canada's new euthanasia laws carry upsetting Nazi-era echoes, warns expert. Canada's extremely liberal euthanasia laws, the article begins, which next year are set to be extended to include people suffering from mental health conditions and potentially minors, have been uh, slammed for being reminiscent of the way the Nazis dealt with people with disabilities by a leading academic in the field. In an article published by the Associated Press last week, Tim Stanton, 
Director of the Canadian Institute for Inclusion and Citizenship at the University of British Columbia said the country's uniquely permissive euthanasia laws were, quote, probably the biggest existential threat to disabled people since the Nazis program in Germany in the 1930s, end quote. The AP article additionally detailed the story of a 61-year-old Alan Nichols, who had a history of hearing loss and depression, and according to Nichols' brother, was unlawfully put to death by the Canadian state in 2019. Though Nichols' family cited a pitiful lack of oversight and gross negligence on behalf of the medical professionals treating him, the Canadian Mounted Police, in conjunction with British Columbia's health ministry, declined to bring forth any criminal charges. Nevertheless, the episode allied to the upcoming expansion of the laws governing euthanasia in Canada in 2023 raises serious questions. The article continues, again, Forbes magazine. Could it be that a country renowned for its liberal universalism and libertarian fundamentalism has grotesquely perverted the principle of accessibility when it comes to medically assisted dying? Accessibility is, in most cases, that precious ethos and lifeblood which allows people with disabilities to thrive as functioning members of society. Yet, within this sphere, unfettered accessibility could indeed prove to be one of the most malignant forces the disability community has had to contend with since the mercy killings of the Third Reich almost nine decades ago. Canada's euthanasia laws came into force in 2016 and resulted in around 10,000 deaths last year. Proponents of the practice in Canada claim there are robust checks and balances in place. Horse hockey. Horse hockey. Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos said the national euthanasia law recognizes the rights of all persons, as well as the inherent and equal value of every life. Nonsense. Nonsense. Nevertheless, there there exists several trends and protocols that set Canada apart from the territories in which euthanasia is legal that have led opponents to express concern the country's medical establishment is faltering on a precipice. Faltering on a precipice. This is Canada in 2022, ladies and gentlemen, a country where politicians will will not stand up to the barbaric practice of abortion, even for the purpose of sex selection. Can we not at least agree on that? That's wrong. This is a country where euthanasia is now being promoted as a quote-unquote treatment option by so-called physicians. Canada, quickly becoming known around the world for its universal health care? No. Peacekeeping missions? No. Maple syrup? No. Culture of death. Coming up on today's program... The uh, gloves are coming off, a possible showdown on the horizon. The provincial government in Saskatchewan warning the feds to keep their climate change snitches off of private property. Kian Bexty from The Counter Signal has that story. Who is A.J. Rice, you ask? Well, he's the publicist behind many of the fabulous conservative guests you hear on this program. He's CEO of Publius PR. They're a premier communications firm in Washington, D.C., and Rice is a brand manager, star whisperer, auteur, and media influencer. He's also the author of a brand new book, The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. Our conversation coming up in hour two. Emergency preparedness expert Stefan Verstappen will provide some case studies on how belonging to a community can save your life. 
Jonathan Kay recently broke a story about how your tax dollars are being used to promote anti-Semitism by the Liberal government. But coming up first, Daniel Boardman, senior contributor with the National Telegraph. Why has the Jean Charest campaign enlisted the help of Kevin O'Leary? We'll find out in just a moment. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Monday, August 22nd. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. This is uh, rather peculiar. You know, uh, I used to think that Kevin O'Leary was, you know, fairly solid conservative. And now it looks like he's uh, shilling for Jean Charest, warning Canadians that Polyev is too divisive. He can't win a national election. Um, he's too radical, too extremist. What's going on here? Daniel Boardman, senior contributor at the National Telegraph. Hey, Daniel, how are you? Doing well. And uh, yeah, it, it, when I first heard, it seemed kind of like strange that he would go so hard for Sheree. But then I, I did some checking back. And apparently he's been on the Sheree bandwagon since the beginning. Um, and O'Leary's been with Sheree since day one. And from what I assessed listening to a few interviews from talking about it is you have to remember, Kevin O'Leary plays a rich person on TV. That is his job <laughs> is to be this like pretend fancy investor type. And his endorsement of Jean Charest seems very much in character in the way that he was talking of like, well, we need when I hire people and I gave him an interview for prime minister, when I hire people, I want skills on a resume. Like he was playing the character from Dragon's Den or Shark Tank or whichever one you watch. And from that angle, it makes sense that you pick Charest because you'd say, oh, Charest has experience and I like the experienced guy. And, and there is a case to be made for Charest that way. I think the case is a bit antiquated and, and all this. Um, and, you know, he was a bit more, he wasn't really attacking Polyev to start, but I think the interesting thing now is he's getting noticed because he is kind of now attacking Polyev, um, under all these, uh, you know, thing of like, oh, too divisive, too radical. He fights back, which I always find so hypocritical from the Charest people because the Charest people have spent nonstop months attacking and being divisive and calling everyone racist who doesn't agree with them. Uh, so this, oh, Polyev is too feisty, too attacky. He doesn't know how to be decorum. It's like, I won't, the, the Sean Charest and Patrick Brown people were equally as bad. This argument only really works if you're supporting like Scott Agenson, who I think his mom does. So if you want to find out <laughs> what Ouch. the supporters are doing, you can call up his mother. Uh, I think he's a big fan. I like nothing against him, but like, you know, there. Uh, Lewis has even gotten a bit fiery and, and punchy. Like maybe Roman Babber has been playing um, a bit more of the, the neutral ground. And that makes sense because his goal is probably not to be leader, but to let Paulia let him join the federal conservative party. Um, and yeah, so it, it makes sense if you look at it. He's just playing a character. He's playing the Dragon's Den character. He's talking about experience. I want hiring people. I want experience. I want all this. And he, I guess the establishment brand kind of fits a lot more of that character. Okay, quick question. I don't want to put you on the spot because I I, I didn't mention I was going to ask you about this. But um, what what the, what is the deal with this um, uh, Jeremy McKenzie, aka the raging dissident? He he, yeah. he shows up at a Polyev event. He shakes his hand, and now the Marxist stream media is going up ap- apoplectic. What, who is this Jeremy McKenzie? Okay, so Jeremy McKenzie, he's been like kind of a troublemaker 
for a long time. So he actually, I first noticed him because when Omar Carter came to Halifax, I first noticed him, he was the veteran who made a speech against Omar Carter and it made a lot of sense because he's a Canadian veteran and why are we giving $10.5 million to um, uh, this? Then I had a friend and she called me and she's out in Halifax too. And and she's like, no, no, Jeremy McKenzie, not a great guy. Look at him. You know, he said a lot of anti-Semitic things and this and that. And so Jeremy McKenzie essentially is, you know, He's an alt-right, you know, troublemaker, you can say. Um, you know, from what I understand of this Diagonalon thing, um, during the convoy, they started an obvious fake country called Diagonalon. So it's not like – and then the government called it like an extremist terrorist fake group. And then I think it's it's a joke. Like Diagonalon is literally a joke started by Jeremy McKenzie, whose political beliefs are bad. Like it's it's some alt-right stuff. But McKenzie is a PPC supporter. He's not a Polyev supporter. I because you know he is very un CPC friendly. He doesn't like Polyev. He calls him PP. Like he, you know, he makes fun of him. You know, he's you know to, to in Mackenzie's view, Polyev is deep state. Blah 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 blah. Controlled by the right. But a guy with you know construction boots and maybe I don't know um, wearing. Um, you know, army kind of attire shows up at an event and poses for a quick photograph. One of maybe a thousand people that day. Yeah. All of a sudden, Polyev is responsible for that. Meanwhile, you know, we have a federal um, uh, minister, a deputy prime minister, posing in front of a, uh, a Ukrainian symbol with, you know, with historical yeah. connections to the, the the Nazis, and and she gets a, a cakewalk. Yeah, and uh, Justin Trudeau met with uh, Jasper Atwal or brought him over to India with him. Uh, Jagmeet Singh's been photographed with multiple people uh, who, in private meetings, who've advocated for violence against Hindus. So, yes, this is a one way thing. It only works on Polyev. So, here's Polyev, who was at a rally where anyone could get in. There is no screening. He took a picture with one of thousands of people. Jeremy McKenzie asked him about a campaign he'd been very open about, about defunding the CBC. Polyev said he would. They shook hands, took a photo, and went out. And I even think now uh, Mackenzie was kind of talking about those videos surfacing of him uh, saying, well, his plan was to go to a Polyev event and basically take a photo with him to watch the media go nuts and screw with Polyev. Like he's a PPC guy. Now, I don't think his views are Maxime Bernier's views. I'm just saying for for right, this guy's very openly he's in the PPC. So he's not even a peer voter. Um, but he went there to uh, generally screw with Pierre with his own reputation. And it seems mission, to work. Mission accomplished, indeed. Daniel Boardman, senior contributor with the National Telegraph. Support independent media, thenationaltelegraph.com. They do great work. Daniel, thank you as always. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. When we come back, your tax money hard at work supporting anti-Semitism. That story next. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serres Show. Well, here's your tax money hard at work. The Canadian Heritage Diversity and Inclusion Ministry gives $134,000 to a group called Community Media Advocacy Center. Uh, to build an anti-racism strategy. It goes to someone um, named Laith Maroof. And uh, it didn't go well. (laughs) It did not go well. And we know about this thanks to the uh, diligence of Jonathan Kay, editor and podcaster for the online publication Quillette, 
Jonathan, welcome back. How are you? Good. How are you? Can you hear me? I can. I can hear you loud and clear. Thank you. Uh, so great work on this. And um, what, did, what, what happened when uh, Laith Maroof was chosen sort of to direct these, these monies, $134,000, to build this anti-racism campaign in the media? Yeah. So this is a guy, uh, my knowledge of him goes back about 20 years, actually. He went to uh, Concordia University in Montreal, and uh, he was barred from the campus there for a year because he, at one point, I think he jumped on a police car. Uh, he organized, helped organize this kind of, it turned into a riot when uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was, was scheduled to come visit. This is in the early 2000s. Uh, and since then, he somehow has gotten his hands on all kinds of Canadian government money, often connected in the sphere of broadcast media. So he fashions himself an expert at um, sort of grassroots community uh, radio and television. He's gotten all kinds of government grants. And in this case, he got a grant to teach broadcasters like yourself uh, <laughs> all about anti-racism. Uh, and as he said, it was over $100,000. It came from this so-called anti-racism fund that the Heritage Department has been doling out for the last couple of years. All right. And then you discovered uh, several tweets from Laith Maroof uh, that really, you know, kind of pointed to the to the, the idea that he's really not a committed anti-racist. <laughs> no. So uh, just to be fair, I didn't discover these tweets. There's this guy named Mark Goldberg, who, uh, if anyone's interested, he was actually just in, uh, interviewed on the Canadian Jewish News podcast. He's like this mild-mannered guy for many years. He organized, uh, I believe, a technology conference, uh, which I think he recently stopped doing. That. He's, you know, sort of an older guy. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And for whatever reason, this guy, Mark Goldberg, was just targeted by this Laith Maruf guy. By the way, Laith Maruf lives in, in Lebanon now. He's lived in Beirut for the last three years, which makes it even weirder that he's been, that he doesn't live in Canada. So, but yet he still has gotten all this um, money from a Canadian right. department. And uh, yeah, he started targeting this guy, Mark Goldberg. And Goldberg started making a kind of dossier of all this guy's like really vicious anti-Semitic stuff. And so it was nice, you know, you, in your intro, you gave me some credit, but it's this guy Goldberg who had the goods on Maruf. Um, and by the way, I should say just minutes before I got on this call, I just got news that the Canadian government has finally, if after more than a week of being aware of how horrible this guy is, um, have fired Maruf. Uh, he is no longer uh, affiliated with um, uh, this anti-racism fund and the organization 
through which he was getting this uh, money. It was called the, it's called CMAC, Community Media Advocacy Center. It seems, I don't know if it was a one man show, but it seemed largely to be his thing. Uh, that, yeah, he's not getting uh, that $130,000 anymore. All right. And I just wanted to share a little bit of uh, this is this is the the work of Laith Maroof again was paid one hundred thirty four thousand dollars to, you know, create this anti-racist campaign to educate the media on how not to be a racist. Here's a sample of his tweets. Uh, You know, all those loudmouth bags of human feces, a.k.a. the Jewish white supremacists, when we liberate Palestine and they have to go back to where they came from, they will return to being low voiced Biatches of their Christian secular white supremacist masters. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> they fired him. Well, it, it only took him a week, but. <laughs> so what's what's weird is we live in an era where people are losing their jobs for like liking the wrong tweet, or you know, tweeting criticism of like Black Lives Matter. Um, this guy is kind of uh, something out of science fiction because for. For years, he's been saying like really crazy stuff and not just about Jews. He's, I mean, he's plainly an anti-Semite, but um, like a couple of months ago, this is after he got this contract with the Canadian Heritage Department. He went down to Washington and took a picture of himself with his middle finger extended toward the Vietnam War Memorial. Uh, I actually tweeted retweeted an image of this. I was so shocked. And it said, what a shame uh, millions more U.S. soldiers didn't die in that conflict. I'm wow. paraphrasing. And, and and like, and again, um, like hundreds and hundreds of tweets like this, this guy, Mark Goldberg, comprised this whole dossier. Look, look, there's lots of haters in society. There's lots of crazy people. You know, we live in a country of almost 40 million people. So there's, there's bound to be a few um, cracked eggs. But very few of those cracked eggs, especially in this age, get fat contracts with the federal government to teach other people anti-racism. But just to be, to be clear, this guy uh, was paid. The project was to go to six Canadian cities and teach broadcasters again, like yourself, um, the correct way to perform anti-racism. And he's already done at least two of them. I think he was in, I think it was Halifax, maybe Vancouver, but like even as recently as a day or two ago, he was, his his outfit was promoting similar town hall meetings they were going to do in Calgary and Toronto and Ottawa. And this was like in parallel with all these disclosures about what a, a virulent and horrifying anti-Semite he was. Uh, and, and, oh, he hates French people, too. There's this whole collection of tweets where he just screams at his critics from Quebec that they're frogs. He calls them frogs. Oh, Lathe, teach me. Teach me now. Yeah. And all again, right. you know, it's a uh, physician cure thyself, right? There you go. Great work, uh, John, and great and uh, kudos to uh, Mark Goldberg for curating all of these and, and, yeah. and for both of you for bringing this to our attention. Laith Maroof has been fired. Thank God. Thank you. <laughs> Jonathan Kay, uh, how do we listen to the Quillette podcast? Oh, yeah. So Quillette, Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-E, uh, any podcast platform. I, I tell people, as I've told you before, it's like Gillette, but with Q-U instead of the G. Um, yeah. And I podcast about all kinds of things. So, uh, yeah. Uh, welcome to any listener who wants to, uh, hear me in a more extended format. Great work, Jonathan. I appreciate your time as always. Talk soon. When we come back the survivalist. You're listening to the Richard Serrett show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Mm-hmm. 
Novelist on The Richard Serrett Show. Hey, welcome back. So this segment is not just about prepping, you know, buying precious metal and uh, purchasing a firearm or learning how to preserve, I don't know, pemmican or something. This is about just common sense steps that you can take. And more importantly, it's about forming a community to help you survive. Even in good times, you need, you need support sometimes. And uh, so that's really in a nutshell what this segment is uh, all about every Monday. The survivalist, Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival. Stefan, welcome back. How was your weekend? It was pretty good, Richard. Thank you for asking. Um, we had a little bit of bad news. One of the members in our community, his son died. A healthy 28-year-old boy, um, perfect, perfect health died suddenly in his sleep for unknown reasons. Now, it must be said that this young man is the only one in the entire family and the only one in our entire community that took the experimental death injection. Oh, dear. And his father begged him not to take it, but he was forced to take it in order to keep his job. And now he's dead. So there you go, folks. You know, I don't know what to say about this, but... um, you know, the mass murderer there in Ottawa. Well, no, we have to be careful. Listen, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, that's the point, though. We don't know. And it merits further investigation. Uh, you know, we, one day, hopefully, this is going to be looked into. And, and we, we, we're getting reports. You know, Lancet just published an article uh, recently about uh, how the vaccines are suppressing natural immunity. And, and uh, all we can do is keep, you know, getting the word out and hopefully they'll investigate well, but we're gonna have to hold their feet to the fire to be sure that is yeah. horrible news horrible news so yeah. um anyways but uh but that's a subject for another time but uh anyways so today it, we're, we're always talking about survival now this month we have devoted our time to talking about community but community is an essential point of survival and Next week, we'll get back to some of the other things typically we talk about with survival, preserving food and storage and water and and firearms. We can get back to that, those subjects. But even if you've got all the food and the firearms and, you you know, you're all prepped, if you don't have a community, your chances of survival are still very narrow. That's why, you know, and if you don't have anything, you don't have food and you don't have you know, your machine guns and grenade launchers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, if you don't have Apache attack helicopter parked in the garage, it doesn't matter because the community will allow you to survive. And that's why this month, you know, we, we arranged it already a few weeks back that we're going to discuss communities this month. And that is because community, you got to be part of a group. You have to have people that will help you and you can help them because that is the key to survival. More important than guns, more important than food, more important than, you know, an escape plan is community. And so we need to form communities and it can be any kind of community. That's what I'm trying to stress. Now, 
generally speaking, we think, oh, okay, survival situation, a community that we're going to talk about organizing militias or survival retreats and things like that. Well, yeah, that's okay too, but it's not necessary. And to be honest with you, it's beyond the scope of almost everybody listening to us today. There's just not that many people that are going to, you know, get, get on an M16 and, and start becoming a part of militia. And to be honest with you, I don't think that's just not our culture. Quite honestly. It's not our culture. And, it, and I've it's, got to take a time out, Stephen. When we come back though, let's talk about building these support groups and, and the advantage of building support groups in terms of, uh, you know, providing providing mental and medical help. Yes. So, uh, so communities as a, a method of survival. Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And we are back with Stefan Verstappen, emergency expert, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival, formingcommunities.com, chinastrategies.com, talking about the importance of uh, forming communities to help you survive. One of the easiest, uh, most effective ways to provide uh, somebody with a wide range of mental and medical help. It's through the formation of support groups. So uh, do you have some case studies, uh, examples of what you mean, Stefan? are very easy to form. There's no legal uh, contracts. There's no uh, nothing you have to do formally. What it is, is a group of people that come together that have a common interest and a common experience in a certain area where they would like to have help, uh, support and uh, advice. Um, they tend to be fully organized and managed by its members. They're all volunteers who have personal experience in the subject of a group's focus. So, for example, I'm sure we've, you've heard of these types of support groups. They have them for almost anything you can imagine. People that suffer from depression or people that have an addiction problem or people that are newly divorced or people that are struggling to raise children alone. And they meet together and they provide each other with moral support and advice. And um, they also help to... Uh, you know, steer you in the right direction. And it it's a huge benefit. And it's, again, almost nothing to organize this. It's very simple. You put a little ad in the paper or on Facebook or on your social media saying that, you know, I'm, I'm suffering from depression. I live here. Can we meet? I'm going to form a group and, and, and generally for a support group, uh, you will get free space at the library or at the community center or at the, the local legion. They'll provide you a room and you meet once a week. And uh, it's usually a small group, uh, probably no more than 20 people. And everybody talks and shares their experience. So it's very easy to organize, but it does provide benefits. And I'll give you a case study. And this is from a fellow that booked an online consultation with me and he had booked it and he had paid the money. And then I didn't hear from him. Uh, two weeks went by, three weeks went by and you know, he already paid the money and uh, I'm ready to do the consultation, but I don't know where he is. I emailed him. I phoned him every other day for almost a month to try and get a hold of him. Couldn't get a hold of him. When I finally did get a hold of him, I said, well, what happened? Well, he got uh, bronchial pneumonia. And he lives in Chicago and he lives in a small room 
like a bed sitting room that is in a house that he shares with several other people. And he was so sick, he couldn't get out of his bed. And I asked him, well, why didn't you go to the hospital? Well, he's terrified to go to the hospital. Now, this was at the height of the big phony medical emergency that we all know about. And he was scared to go to the hospital. Well, you know what? He has every reason to be scared to go to the hospital. You know that doctors kill more people than guns. That's that's the tr- that's true, actually. You know, misdiagnosis and so forth. So, but so, how did he? How did he end up surviving? Well, so I, I spoke to him, and like I'll be honest with you, like eighty percent of the people that book an appointment with me are all in the same boat. Uh, usually, fifty mid fifties. No family, no friends, nobody to help. He's dying in his bedroom. And he asked one of the one of the fellow uh, uh, people that lived there, can you, you know, go to the store and, and get me a sandwich or some food? They couldn't even be bothered to do that. All right. So this is what happens when you're in a big city. And he lived in Chicago. He worked as a security guard. He couldn't go to work because he was sick. And so they laid him off. But even if he did go to work, he got mugged twice a week because he had to take public transportation. The crime in Chicago is through the roof. People have no idea how dangerous it is. The last time he was held up at gunpoint, two o'clock in the afternoon in the central station in Chicago. So I said to him, I said, look, you know, do you have this? Do you have No, nobody, no friends, no contacts, no family, nothing. I said, look, I, I hate to tell you this. And sometimes, you know, my my approach to survival is you're better off to shelter in place. A lot of people want to run away. They want to go to Costa Rica. They want to go to Mexico. They want to get, you know, a cabin out in the woods. I said, well, okay, that's all fine and dandy. You can afford all that. But really, your best option for most situations is to stay where you are, you know, get your preps, get your food stockpiled, and but stay where you are. But in this case, I said, look, you have to get out of Chicago. You're going to die. This winter was coming on again. He was still wasn't fully recovered from pneumonia. He was still sick as a dog. I said, you're not you're not going to survive uh, another winter in Chicago. I said, so, you know, I asked him, how much money do you have? I sometimes ask my clients how much money do they have if it's important to the to the uh, um, to the advice. Yeah, buy a bus money. ticket, buy a bus ticket, find someone in, I don't know, southern Illinois, uh, a relative, a distant relative that you can stay with until you can figure stuff out. That's what I suggested to I said, rent a car and start driving and just head south. Doesn't matter where you go. He said, where should I go? I said, it doesn't matter. Get out of Chicago, go south. Um, I recommended uh, North Carolina. And I said, as you're driving, you know, through North uh, New York State or through Vermont, I said, when you come across a small town and you have to stop for the night, check out the small town. Do they have jobs there? Do they have an apartment for rent there? You know, check it out because you're better off. And, and to be honest with you, I, it's true. You're better off in a rural community than in a big urban built up urban environment. And uh, next week we'll talk about why if you're stuck in downtown Toronto, uh, you're going to die. It's you can't, you can't survive in downtown Toronto with what's coming. So you have to get out. Then you have to escape. So anyways, he got in the car and there was only one thing that I knew about him. And that was, he was a member of AA. Alcoholics Anonymous, and he'd been clean and sober for 35 years. And I said, okay, go drive. Just get out of there. 
doesn't matter where you go, just go south, whatever, whatever the mood takes you. I said, but when you get to a small town, check if there's an AA uh, chapter there and then go visit them. Well, that's what happened. He ended up in North Carolina near Wilmington. He found a small town there. He stopped. He found out that they had a local AA association. So he went to one of the local meetings. It turned out that the gentleman who had formed the AA association there in, in North Carolina was a you know, fairly well-to-do businessman who had built four modern, ultra-modern, clean cottages, two-bedroom cottages, and he put them on some land just outside of town. And uh, they heard his story and they said, you're welcome to move into one of the cottages. Okay, Stephen, I got I got to jump in here because I'm approaching top of the hour. Got to. Um, Anyways, so he got a, a really good place to stay, dirt cheap, eight hundred bucks a month, and they found him a job, and he's doing fine now. So wow. it was something like you know joining, you know, hooking up with your AA group again. That's but- a community. He's formed. Yeah, he's found his community. Listen, got to run. We'll uh, we'll pick this up next week. Stefan Verstappen, the art of urban survival. Chinastrategies.com, formingcommunities.com. Stefan, thank you. You have a great rest of the week. You too, Richard. Bye bye. All right. Hour two awaits, including my interview with A.J. Rice, star whisperer, social media influencer and author of The Woking Dead. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is... The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. a lot but don't despair still plenty of great programming coming your way things are heating up out in saskatchewan uh, recently the uh, federal liberals sent ministry of climate change agents to private property farmland out in saskatchewan uh, to test nitrogen levels in the water in the soil to test how compliant canadians are with uh Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. 
call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Their starvation policy. And now Saskatchewan is firing back and telling the feds in Ottawa, you do that again, we're going to charge you with trespassing. Kian Bextie. Uh, is a fiercely independent journalist. He's a good one, and uh, he's with the Counter Signal. He'll be here towards the tail end of the program with that. All right, The Woking Dead. Great title. Great title. They're everywhere. An army of undead ghouls turning millions into mindless, ravenous devourers of all things good. They're attacking Dave Chappelle. They're attacking George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. They've taken over the New York Times, the NBA. A.J. Rice has been uh, fighting behind the scenes for years, pushing back against wokeism in ways you saw maybe and heard but never understood until now. He's uh, the creative mind behind some of the nation's most important talk radio stars. He's the strategist behind the America First books. You may have read, like it or not, he's... His content has been around uh, in some form or another for decades. In fact, as president and CEO of Publius PR, editor-in-chief of the Publius National Post, he's uh, provided many guests that have appeared on this program. And his new book is, as I say, The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. Again, CEO of Publius PR, premier communications firm in Washington. He's a brand manager, star whisperer, auteur, media influencer who's produced or promoted people like Laura Ingram, Judge Janine Pirro, Donald Trump Jr., Monica Crowley, Mark Meadows, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Don Bongino, Charles Krauthammer, Congressman Steve Scalise, Dr. Ben Carson, Michael Savage, you name it. Victor David Davis Hanson, Newt Gingrich, Dr. Naomi Wolf, and many others. Hey, AJ, welcome. How are you? Hey, it's great to be here. You know, you guys are one of the best shows out there. We, we do a lot of, uh, you guys put a lot of our guests on, so it's amazing for me to be able to join you. Thank you. Well, thank you for, uh, for all the wonderful people you send our way. And, um, you know, as I pointed out in, in the introduction, you have executive produced, you've promoted many of the conservative voices that we're all familiar with, people like Laura Ingram and Judge Jeanine Pirro and so many others, Dr. Ben Carson. Why now are you stepping out from the other side of the, uh, the microphone, I guess, or the, the other side of the glass to, uh, to go public and, and write this book and, and to speak about it? Absolutely. It's the old uh, Wizard of Oz coming out from behind the curtain, right? Look, I've been a known media figure, uh, sort of puppet master, if you will, for 15 years in Washington, D.C. Sometimes you see me, sometimes you don't. When I was producing shows, I did some on-air stuff. People do seek us out because we're a little more aggressive um, than your average PR firm. A lot of these swampy PR firms, Richard, they're... uh, they're open for business, not to really change hearts and minds, but to basically turn Washington, D.C. into one big sort of cocktail party. So it's a social thing. 
And I, I mean, after Trump came along, um, I got a little more active, started doing some writing, a little bit of public speaking. During COVID and the ensuing years now under Joe Biden, I figured it was time for me to sort of take one hat off, put on another, albeit temporarily, stepping out from behind the curtain and put together, you know, this book, The Woking Dead, that sort of catalogs a cultural virus that we're dealing with. See, your audience is familiar with the uh, medical virus. The medical virus was one form of authoritarianism. Wokeism, which is a cultural virus, is a different form. And I catalog that in the book. Many of us of a conservative bent, myself included, decided to come forward. I mean, I started doing this show about a year and eight months ago, not because I wanted to get paid to do a talk show. Uh, I mean, I've been on the radio, but not doing this kind of show because I feel like we are at an inflection point in history. And I said, now I, whatever I can do, I have to stand up for my children. One day, God willing, my grandchildren. Now it's go time. So I think a lot of us are whatever talents we might have trying to contribute to this cause. Do you feel likewise we are now living through almost biblical times and an inflection point in history? And it's like this is where the rubber meets the road, folks. Absolutely. So Western civilization has lost more of its rights in the last sort of two decades, beginning with 9-11, coming all the way forward to now. It's happening faster than ever. There have been some pushbacks. You had Brexit in the United Kingdom. You had the election of Donald Trump at least once. You might get him elected a third time coming up. But uh, (laughs) but, Duly uh, noted. Yes, I know where you're going with that one. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the reality here is that we're losing more rights than ever, and it's happening very fast. And it's happening because you have media, corporate structures, government, big tech, and your sort of education institutions all working together with one goal in mind. So we have to push back. They are capturing us. We've been captured with a medical virus. Can't go to prom. Can't go to uh, the NCAA tournament. Can't go to your graduation. Can't get married. You stay home. Keep your mouth shut. Dr. Fauci will be with you in a moment. You know, I mean, they they're telling us what to put in our bodies, what to put on our face. So you get this sort of incremental, you know, nibbling happening, right? And then you've got, on top of it, while we've got you captured inside your house, now we're going to slow feed you cultural garbage to tell you America stinks, Canada stinks, Western civilization stinks, and the whole thing was built on colonialism and racism, and you can't use this pronoun, or the LGBTQ mafia will whack you. And you can't, you know, have this statue anymore. First, they came for Lee and Traveler, his horse. And they came for the American Revolution figures. And they're going to come for World War I figures and on and on. They're, they're not going to stop. They're after the rosary. I mean, it's, it's outrageous. The Atlantic Magazine last week, if you've got a rosary, you might be a, a gun nut with, a, with an AR-15 that's going to shoot a place up. It's crazy. So cancel culture is really, I guess, the worst part of wokeism. Obviously, you've got critical race theory. I mean, the whole thing, a bunch of little zombie social justice warriors following their leader, the reanimated corpse in the White House. And the big problem, I I would say, is they want to take your fun from you. Look, liberals always, you know, push the nanny state and rip the salt shaker out of your hand or the big gulp from 7-Eleven. You can't eat that. You can't eat this. Michelle Obama's got your menu. Here she comes. You know, but 
Now they're following us home. They're canceling people. They're deplatforming people. They're shadow banning them. They're cutting them off from Patreon or PayPal. Really outrageous. Right. I think that was um, our first mistake is, as conservatives. You know, we just want to be left alone. We want to go home to our families and, and get up and work in the morning. That's not that's not going to get it right because they're not going to leave us alone. No, they're following you home. They're following you home. They've, they've caught you medically. Now they're catching you culturally. And now once you've been captured twice there, they're going to hit you with inflation and all their goofy economic programs. You know, American families right now are spending an extra $400 a month. That's six grand a year. And you better pay it. You better pay it because if you don't, we're going to deploy 87,000 IRS guys. That's about 1,800 people per state, 50 states. And we're going to enforce this. We're coming for you. It's now part of the wealth confiscation program. I mean, look, America, the former British colony and all the British colonies handled it differently. But one of the ways we handled it, the primary way we handled it, and I'm from Philadelphia originally, as I'm sure your audience can hear in my accent. <laughs> uh, and we invented America there. We invented some other things too, like a cheesesteak. You should get one. Oh, yeah. Um, I've had it. <laughs> primarily, this was a tax revolution. It was a tax revolution, the, uh, the American Revolution. So here they come, the right. lobster back. The lobster backs are on the move again, except this time there's more of them. <laughs> they just... I mean, and they're and they're going to start knocking on doors to confiscate wealth. Basically, hey, I got confisc- to take, take a time out. Pardon the interruption. Yeah, sure. Right. CEO of Publius uh, Press or PR, Publius PR, and the author of The Woking Dead: How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Culture. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga nine sixty AM. We are back with AJ Rice, CEO of. Publius PR, a premier communications firm in Washington, D.C., brand managers, star whisperer, uh, auteur media influencer, and the author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Culture. You were mentioning, uh, you know, the revolution in Philadelphia. And I mean, you could almost argue that as bad as King George III was, uh, he wasn't an atheist. He wasn't um, um, a Marxist. Uh, I mean, could you make the case? Is the case could be made that that, that the Biden administration and the dem the left the woke left are worse than King George the Third? Wow, I'm going to paraphrase an old saying to answer your question. I guess let's ask the audience: What's worse, one tyrant three thousand miles away, or eighty-seven thousand IRS tyrants one mile away? I mean, that's where we're at, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So to answer your question. What would you rather have? Would you you want millions of Bidens coming in your home, the Woking Dead coming in, shutting down your 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 comedy, shutting down your churches, infecting your public school system? I mean, one tyrant far away or thousands all around you, millions all around you. I mean, these are these are troubling times. They're, you know, and the Woking Dead, they're fixated on race, gender, sexuality when they should be focused on is excellence. Muhammad Ali was fantastic. Not because of his skin color, because he was fantastic. Jackie Robinson, fantastic. Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth wasn't great because he was white. He was great because he was good. So that's what they're fixated on. Get the entire culture filtering everything through the prism of identity. 
And I mean, it's even infected, you know, the armed services. And I got to ask your audience a question. I mean, how does diversity enhance talent? How does it enhance talent? So obviously the, the diversity pimps, I mean, that's one part of wokeism. The most troubling part of wokeism to me is cancel culture. And let me just tell your audience, Richard, cancel culture doesn't necessarily have to come from some left wing ideology. It can come like it did for Salman Rushdie last week. Yes. In the, in the form of Islamic radicalism. Look, every authoritarian that we've ever dealt with does this. I don't care whether it's Mao or Ho Chi Minh or Castro, Joe Biden. No, wait. Uh, Joe Biden or, you know, the mullahs in Iran. They want to basically remove you. If they can't get you digitally, they will come physically. They'll give out a Supreme Court Supreme Court justice's address. They'll jump on stage with Dave Chappelle with a knife. They'll jump on stage with Lee Zeldin, who's running for governor of New York. They'll raid Republican. the home of a former president. They'll raid them. That's right. And if we keep giving them an inch, they're going to keep taking a mile. And like I said, every day, it's a little dress rehearsal of tyranny. What can we do to them today? Oh, did anyone did anyone complain today? Oh, no one complained. Take another inch. Take another mile. We fall back. We fall back. We fall back. We never draw a line in the sand ever. And we 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 need to. Um, you know, I live in Virginia outside of Swamp Central. And, you know, Glenn Youngkin was able to win by talking about some of these issues because I believe these are 80 percent issues because he was able to swing the electorate in Virginia 10, 15 points away from by away from Biden. That's about how much he beat Trump by in Virginia. Uh, too youngkin, because you're screwing with people's kids, right? And you're key, and, and and you know, and you're sending Gary and Steve into the women's locker room, and regular parents who aren't bigots, they just you know, they want to protect women's sports and women's locker rooms and women's bathrooms, and they don't want to be told Thomas Jefferson's a Klansman and have everything in Virginia renamed after Barack Obama. That's all. Right. I mean, the Republican Party now, the the party of parents, that's that's uh, on the surface, a, a pretty unbeatable coalition, I'd say. Yeah. If you're looking for a true insurrection, not the phony baloney one they said happened on, at the Capitol. They're just true. There is an insurrection going on. And it's parents. It's parents revolting. A.J. Rice, CEO of Publius PR. How do we get a copy of The Woking Dead, A.J.? You know, pretty much anywhere books are sold. So, you you know, mostly online because the bookstores pretty much have banned most conservative or Christian books. And, you know, unless they, you know, it's some gigantic person like a Joel Osteen that they can't avoid. So but if you go to BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, Target, Walmart.com, Books a Million, it's distributed by Simon & Schuster and the publisher is Post Hill Press who published, you know, he publishes all Dan Bongino's books and, you know, The Laptop from Hell, the Miranda Devine book they did and and many others. I wanted to get your take on going back to the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. Um, and now it, it, it's come out that it appears that the, the warrant was basically, a, it was approved a general warrant, which is against the Fourth Amendment. You know, there was virtually no restrictions on what type of material they took. 
uh, or where they went. We know they rifled through Melania's uh, wardrobe and her personal things. Uh, so it, on a, it appears to be a, a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. Do you have any any sense of what they were really looking for? Is it is it the the declassified um, you know papers on Hillary's emails, the Russian hoax? Well, let's let's rename what it was. Let's call it the FBI burglary, because that's what it, I mean. This they, they look like, you know, schmucky common criminals rifling through things, looking for things, maybe leaving things. Dare I say? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, the bureau is not supposed to be like this. But again, like a lot of the levers of government. It's turned into a Petri dish that has really two speeds. One, get Trump and his supporters. That's what this is about. Or two, crazy woke stuff. I mean, the FBI gets deployed all the time, like faster than you could say Hunter Biden, to crazy things. I mean, we had a a NASCAR race here where a a black NASCAR driver claimed he had a noose put in his his garage. It turned out to be the rope pull on the garage door. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talladega. That was Bubba Wallace at Talladega. I mean, this is what they're concerned about. So as far as, you know, I mean, it looks to me like they've become the sort of secret police of the Democratic Party. And that's it. That That's going to have a chilling effect. And where I mean, and where's the outrage? Where, I mean, really? Because if if they can just go into Mar-a-Lago and none of you, no one's safe and it doesn't have to be the FBI, it can be some other wing. The IRS we were just talking about. So, I mean, this is, it looks like East Germany. It looks very authoritarian, and it looks like we're slouching towards Gomorrah on this one. All right, we're going to take another time out. A.J. Rice stays with us, CEO of Publius PR, responsible for many of the fine guests that appear on this program. And he is the author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Culture. Back with more right after these. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. We are back with A.J. Rice, CEO of Publius PR. Washington Times uh, headline the other day about the FBI warning of civil war, comma, dirty bomb. Uh, it, it seems like they they are really uh, hoping to instigate something here. What What is your sense? Are, we, are you headed towards a national divorce? Is this likely to get violent? I don't know about that, but it looks like a gigantic global version of entrapment. It looks like, you know, let's punch them in the face and see who reacts. And whoever reacts, we'll go get them too. So. It's 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 crazy. We'll come and break your window. Then we'll show up the next day and, you know, see if you care and maybe we'll arrest you and blame you for it. I mean, it's just crazy. It's craziness. Uh, As far as look. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. 
Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. America is resilient. Don't ever think that the American people are represented by their news media and how they're framing events. Don't ever think that. I mean, we've got we've got a bunch of uh, Goebbels running some of these uh, newspapers here and TV stations. I mean, it's it's full on propaganda going on here. Now, there are some great outlets in North America, uh, both in you know Canada and the United States. This show is one of them. But I wouldn't start. I wouldn't say there's a civil war coming yet, but people need to get out and vote. They need to vote with their feet. They need to vote with their wallet. If you don't want wokeism, if you don't want the woking dead in your in your textbooks, uh, in your Disney movies, from your professional athletes, then you got to there's plenty of other forms of entertainment out there. You got to move on. Um, it's been tough for me. I'm a, I'm a cultural devotee. I mean, if you go through my book, you know, you can tell. I mean, I, I love this stuff. I eat it up. But as far as voting, people need to get out there. They need to send a message. You know, I, you know, get a copy of The Woking Dead and wave it around in those phony poll watchers' faces in November in the United States. I will say that you're, as far as the, wo- the woke sort of zombies we're dealing with here, they are after people that criticize them. I mean, you're allowed to pick on, you know, God as long as you pick on the right, the right God, right? You're allowed to pick on, right. you know, the Allah God. Nope, you can't do that. Nope, you can pick on the, uh, Obama God. Oh, nope, you can't do that. But people of faith, people that love capitalism, we should hang together or not at all. Yeah, hang together or literally hang together, as Benjamin Franklin said, <laughs> if we don't uh, get together exactly. A.J. Rice, CEO of Publius PR and also the author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Culture. Just one last question. It looks at this point like a red tsunami come November, but you have to be, you know, vigilant and get out the vote. As you say, it's not a done deal, but it looks like, you know, the the, the GOP will retake the House, retake the uh, the Senate in the midterms, hopefully, you know, a return of Trump in, in 2024. But is that enough unless... Unless he makes wholesale changes in the bureaucracy, the administrative state, or as he likes to call it, the deep state. And how will he do that? Is that possible? Well, there was a plan to do that. And uh, if he, you know, if he was able to continue um, with the second term. um, But yes, that's the plan. What they learned, a couple things. Personnel is everything. So it's not you can't just, you know, decapitate the top of these uh, departments and put your supposed ally, which in some cases over the four years of Trump, they were not allies as these cabinet secretaries. So you need to strip mine the top 10 layers. Mm-hmm. Don't don't just, uh, you know, replace them or hope to replace them with your own people. Abolish the position. We have a million little undersecretaries. And I got to be honest with you, whether it's at Netflix or whether it's at the federal government, the middle management is where the Woking Dead live. It's where the rebellion to change America is coming from. And the people at the top, whether it's a CEO or a cabinet secretary, they're afraid of the barbarians. They're afraid of the woke zombies. So you have to strip mine 10 layers down, you know, or get rid of departments altogether. That's what you have to do. And there is a plan to do that. And because they know, see, look, Trump caught them by surprise before. Um, 
And now, you know, they kind of know what the agenda is going forward. So hopefully, you know, if we can win, we can sort of change some of this Leviathan and, and trim it back. A.J. Rice, CEO of Publius PR. Again, the Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Culture. You can order that at Amazon and elsewhere online. A.J., a great pleasure. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, sir. We love, your, we love you guys. We love your audience. All right. When we come back, Ian Bexty from The Counter Signal. We'll talk about uh, Saskatchewan uh, warning Trudeau's federal nitrogen agents that they could be arrested. Stay tuned. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Things are heating up out west. I don't know, there could be a showdown perhaps on the horizon, specifically Saskatchewan. This all started recently when a number of farmers in Saskatchewan noticed that federal government employees with clearly marked vehicles were trespassing on their property, their private property, their farms, and uh, taking water samples. Turns out they were looking for nitrate levels, which would suggest this ties back to what's happening in Netherlands and across Europe and now being introduced into Canada, although they're claiming it's voluntary, and that is to reduce or cap nitrogen emissions the use of fertilizer on farms in Canada. Well, Saskatchewan isn't having any of it. And they have now warned Trudeau and his climate change agents to stay off private property or they their employees face arrest and persecution. Prosecution, I should say, prosecution. Kian Bexty is an independent journalist uh, with The Counter Signal. Kian, welcome back. How are you? I'm not too bad yourself. Very well, thank you. How widespread is this? How many farms uh, or farmers are complaining about federal agents trespassing? So far, we've just seen it in Saskatchewan. Uh, but of course, Saskatchewan might be the only province uh, with a government that would be outraged by Trudeau abusing its citizens. So, you know, we've we've seen it from about half a dozen farms in Saskatchewan. Although if they're doing it in Saskatchewan, they're doing it elsewhere. It just hasn't been reported yet. And do we know what uh, ministry these federal uh, employees are with? They would be with Environment and Climate Change Canada. That used to be Environment Canada under the Harper government, but Trudeau changed the name of it to this very long uh, name, shorthand, it's ECCC. And uh, they're responsible for everything from predicting the weather uh, through their forecasting to apparently breaking onto and illegally entering uh, land so that they can test nitrogen levels in dugouts. So have there been any uh, altercations? In other words, when farmers confront these uh, environment and climate change ministry officials who come onto their land illegally and start testing their, I guess, their well water or whatever they're testing, um, has, have there been any altercations? Nothing uh Nothing like what you'd expect if some random stranger broke onto your land, broke onto your property, uh, and started doing things. Uh, it's all been cordial. Uh, some questions were asked by by some farmers, but outside of that, nothing was really done. They, uh, in terms of dealing with it in that moment, of course, they then went to the provincial government. Um, Saskatchewan has an emergency line that they put out to farmers so that their public safety 
uh, agency actually can deal with this. This is the same agency that was once being used to harass um, business owners, actually, who were open during COVID. That was the Saskatchewan Public Safety Agency. And now they've sort of changed their mandate so that now they're focusing their uh, their time on the federal government. Anything that comes in uh, in terms of uh, trespass, they are dealing with that. And Scott Moe and his minister responsible for water management say that they are going to prosecute. They're, they're going to follow up and uh, police will prosecute if the criminal code is violated. All right. We'll, we'll take a quick time out, come back and discuss further. Ken Bexty with The Counter Signal, thecountersignal.com, thecountersignal.com, support independent media. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. Saskatchewan farmers catching federal employees with the Ministry of uh, Environment and Climate Change, catching them red-handed, trespassing on their land, checking water levels or checking nitrate levels in the water on these farms. Kian Bexty is with the counter signal. Um, so... What what has happened typically? Have these farmers told the these ministry officials get off my land, and then what happens? Well, uh, the thing with dugouts is they're often close to roadways. Um, they are, you know, these these uh, environment and climate change officers are in their vehicles, so that it's easy for them to get away. All they need is a quick sample, and they're on their way. It sounds innocent enough, right? But it's the opposite of that. Um, Justin Trudeau said that vaccines would be voluntary, and now look where we are. He also said that reducing nitrogen levels would be voluntary, and now he has enforcement, or well, I shouldn't say enforcement. He has uh, employees, agents of, yeah, snitches coming to farms to test, to see what is in the water. Um, you know, nitrogen is a totally normal thing to have in water to, at certain levels. And they're coming to, uh, you know, just like the tax man will come, the nitrogen man is coming around to check, to make sure you're being compliant with tyrant Trudeau's demands. So now we have the um, the government in Saskatchewan responding. Uh, Minister Cockrell, uh, which uh, is he the Minister of Environment in Saskatchewan? Not quite. They have a different structure. He's Minister of Roadways, and uh, ah. but he's also the Minister responsible for water uh, protection. So um, this falls under his jurisdiction as they are obviously federal agents coming on to test the water. That's his job. Um, this is not something that the province should be, uh, that the government, sh- federal government should be doing, much less something that they should be doing uh, w- without permission. So uh, the, the Saskatchewan government is obviously frustrated. In, in Alberta, uh, candidates running to replace Jason Kenney also seem to be frustrated. The premier of Alberta hasn't said anything, but Travis Taze, uh, the former minister of finance, has put out a message today saying that he wouldn't tolerate it either if he was premier, which, you know, is good to see. Uh, he says that he's going to commit to enforcing Alberta's trespass laws. Um, that's, you know, that's something that people out west, you know, I know this, this your show's in the Toronto area, but that's something that people out west with are really interested right now. Fighting back against Justin Trudeau's uh, encroachment onto our jurisdiction and our sovereignty, whether that's personal property or our provincial sovereignty is something that uh, we're going to hear a lot about over the next few years as Justin Trudeau tries to consolidate power. Is this 
adjust the Saskatchewan party politicking and trying to earn some, you know, brownie points, particularly after the way they handled uh, the lockdown, uh, politicking and, and trying to earn brownie points with uh, the people of Saskatchewan? Or do you think that they are they are intending to, you know, if this comes to a showdown, so be it with the federal government and, and arresting federal employees? You know, the the Saskatchewan government doesn't have a lot to lose when it comes to Justin Trudeau. Um, they uh, they seem to be, you know, I, I was shocked when I read it. You know, you don't often hear about the idea of arresting one government, arresting uh, the agents of another government. That's something that you'd expect maybe in, in America, local sheriffs arresting right. FBI agents or something like that. And, uh, you know, the idea of it is shocking. But, you know, trespass is shocking. It is a crime. And the federal government doesn't get to ignore certain laws that are inconvenient to them. They have to obey the law as much as anyone else. They don't get exceptions. So, you know, I see this as the Saskatchewan government standing up for what's right. And frankly, there should be more governments in this country that do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Has uh, 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 the federal minister, uh, Guilbeau, has he responded to Saskatchewan's warning? To my knowledge, no. Uh, at the counter signal, we're actively following the situation. We're certainly going to report if if he does. Um, the federal government is is one of the most non-transparent and unaccountable governments Canada has ever seen. So whether you know they don't respond to independent media, I don't know if they're going to respond to a minister that is that is reading them the riot act. We'll have to see what they do. You'd think that they would have an obligation to do so, but but we'll see. Well, uh, in the meantime, uh, the the three provinces seem united uh, on this front. They're basically they've said no thank you to Trudeau's you know cap on nitrogen and so forth. Uh, I don't know where. I mean, we have a lot of farmers here in Ontario. We have a a, a beef industry in Ontario. We have you know grain some grain farmers here in Ontario. I don't know whether our government has made any sort of pronouncements regarding this, but it's good to see at least. Uh, the three provinces out west unified against it. Kian, thank you so much for this. Uh, how do we listen to the uh, Counter Signal podcast? You can go to thecountersignal.com. Uh, a lot of our nitrogen coverage is consolidated at dutchuprising.com as well. That's where we're publishing everything to do with the uh, farmer rebellions happening across the planet, really. Um, it all started in the Netherlands, and uh, you know what's happening there is going to going to come to our shores if uh, if we don't fight back. Well, again, good on the uh, the government of Saskatchewan for standing up to the feds. Kian, thank you so much as always. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Kian Bextie, The Counter Signal, thecountersignal.com. Um, all right, before we go, I wanted to play this. Um, this was uh, Tucker Carlson. It's a, it's a longer uh, clip, but it's important. Tucker Carlson the other night talking about a number of studies coming out again. One published in the prestigious medical journal, The Lancet, raising great concerns about how the COVID vaccines may be suppressing immunity, may be suppressing natural immunity. Have a listen. 
link to neurodegenerative disease, myocarditis, Bell's palsy, liver disease, impaired adaptive immunity, impaired DNA damage response, etc. So it's possible, in fact, it's looking likely that the vaccine might suppress the immune system. This fact, the authors concluded, will, quote, have a wide range of consequences, not the least of which include the reactivation of latent viral infections and the reduced ability to effectively combat future infections, end quote. Now, again, we sincerely hope that's not true, but it's not just the conclusion of one scientific journal. The Lancet, maybe the most famous scientific journal in the world, released similar findings in February. The Lancet's piece was entitled, quote, risk of infection, hospitalization, and death up to nine months after a second dose of COVID-19 vaccine. A physician called Kenji Yamamoto made this observation about the data from The Lancet. He wrote this in a letter to the Journal of Virology, and we're quoting, the study showed that immune function among vaccinated individuals eight months after the administration of two doses of COVID-19 vaccine was lower than that among the unvaccinated individuals. Ah. Now, your first response, if you're a humane person, to a line like that has got to be deep sympathy because people were misled. They were forced. They were forced. Medical ethics thrown out the window. People were forced to take medicine they didn't want, and some of them may have been hurt by it. And you don't have to take this man's word for it. Pull up the Lancet study yourself. You won't find anything of the text of the article saying what Kenji Yamamoto said, which is weird. Why would the Lancet want to hide a major finding like that? We can't say. But if you look at Table 3 in the piece, here's what you'll find buried in the data. Among people around the age of 80 who have been double vaccinated, that would include people like Joe Biden, the per capita rate of medical incidences, including hospitalizations or death, is nearly twice as high as the rate of serious incidents for the unvaccinated. This is 180 days after vaccination. What is that? And why is no one interested? Precisely. Why is no one interested? Keeping in mind, number one cause of death now in Alberta, unexplained. Keep in mind, in the UK, 1,000 excess mortality every week. How do we explain? All right. That is it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you tomorrow at 4. Now, don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Tuesday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. 
Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.